Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats Cast number eleven eleven, aka number one twenty one. I'm Jeremy, and I'd like to start off with an apology this week because I slept through the cast last week, and you know, I would think that would be the worst thing possible for an esteemed podcast like that. But Ed was so busy that he decided to take up half an hour of our time just lackadaisically strolling around Portland. So uh, how are you doing this week, Ed? Got back from Milwaukee, currently home in Portland. It feels great. And Jim, how's your week going, buddy? Uh, Pretty good. Uh, If you can tell from Twitter, I've been playing a lot of Pokemon, and um, I put a new mailbox in front of my house, and it was... Most miserable experience, but it's done. Well, I'm glad that you kept us posted on that experience, Jim. Oh, Uh, my God. I can't believe you did that. Normally, mail jokes go nowhere because they're stationary. Um, So this week, we have ultimate... Do you do stand-up in your free time? Like, how did these so quickly (laughs) roll off the tongue? Like, how do you have so many mail jokes ready? I'm, I'm just good at this, okay? I mean, if this was a career, I'd, I'd go for it. But your, your delivery is impeccable. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> why, why are two people doing it now? Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought of that one. And I was like, I got I guess I got to compliment Jeremy if it's what I got to do to get a pun in there. Yep. Uh, so we have Ultimate Masters that came out. We have allocation numbers for each shop that all the shops finally know how much they're getting. Now we may see a little bit of a, a take back as shops that placed orders have them scaled down a bit by distributors. Um, but we got our first full day of spoilers today. And oh Lord, there were some spicy meatballs. Um, anything that caught your guys' eye today? Well, there was a car that, that Ed thought was on the reserve list that wasn't. And then there was a car that I thought was on the reserve list that wasn't. So um yeah, there's a lot of interesting things swelled today, we'll say. Uh, I'm particularly happy about Phyrexian Tower, which I knew was not on the reserve list, uh, because this will be the first time it is available in foil. What I don't understand is why it was not a masterpiece, because I think that would have been a really sweet one, and a lot of people would have enjoyed that. Ed? Yeah, in case anyone was wondering, I did not know that Frexia Tower was on the reserve list. Going into the microphone, Ed, we will replace you with the. <laughs> Sorry, um, I did not know that Frexia Tower was not on the reserve list. Odd enough. Um, other than that, I think the most recent uh, reprint I saw. Um, oh, nothing spoiled here. I think it was Back to Basics. I don't know if anything since then has been spoiled. Uh, seismic Assault, I guess. Apparently. Um, I uh, there's like definitely some interesting ones. I think the most notable ones, um, Frexian Altar was one of those cards that uh, saw quite a bit of play in uh, EDH. Hasn't had a reprint since Invasion, so it was probably pushing like fifty five to sixty dollars on TCG Player just due to you know lack of ability on it. Um, all Dust is also a card that doesn't see a ton of play, but it has been getting pr- pricey. The last reprint of it was uh, Masters 2015. Um, I believe this is the first reprint for Eldrazi Conscription, as well as someone can correct me on that. Um, that That's also one of the cards that uh, a lot of the prices kind of held up by EDH. Um, 
but uh, Bowden is also fairly expensive. It's like eight to yeah, ten dollars. Well, the price on that's going to get annihilated because of the reprint, right? <laughs> um, this is going to be a long cast. <laughs> um, sure, like it probably will go down, right? But this is like just in the realm of like EDH. This is probably like a fine, like two to three dollar rare, just because people like it. It has a pretty big, unique effect. Um, so, um, other than that, uh, what else is on the reprint? Vexing Devil is one of those Back cards. What's that? Back to Basics. Uh, Back to Basics was, was that the one that you thought was on the reserve list, Jim? Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought I looked it up and I was like, I was pretty sure it was on the reserve list, but clearly that is not the case since it got reprinted. I am very happy I did not purchase one myself. Yeah, um, that's I, that's probably like the other one that a lot of people have held out for. Um, this is a type of card that will definitely just uh, fall quite a bit in price. It's relegated almost to just like legacy, like blue white miracles. There's really not that much uh, life for this card outside of that. Um, I imagine that a fair amount of reprints that we will see are will probably fall in that boat. Um, uh, it, it, like one of those things, like Glen and Legend Archmage, it doesn't see a lot of play, but we haven't seen a reprint in a while. Um, it's really always expensive because you know there's two printings of it, um, and it's like before prior to this, it was like probably what like fifty bucks or something, fourteen fifteen dollars, and now like it's one of those cards that'll probably go down to four or five, uh, mainly because there's enough demand and use for it outside of that. But the limited supply was like really the driving force. Um. Contributing their price on a lot of these cards. So, what are your thoughts on? You know, we have content creators coming out saying that the average mythic value right now is like thirty-five dollars. The average rare value is like twelve dollars to fourteen dollars. Do you still like this set, or are you just going to be targeting singles? Um, like this is kind of odd. I think it's one of those things where I think the set is a fine buy uh, as a store. Um, excuse me, um, mainly because if you're looking to crack singles, the fact that the prices are like relatively high, um, makes it, makes it a fine product to open, uh, and the box topper again guarantees a certain amount of value out of it. So because the box topper, even with the large range box toppers, like, yeah, probably sucks to get something like. Lord of Extinction or Balefire Dragon or something versus, like, that's probably your floor. Um, those are probably, like, roughly, like, there's not a lot of, like, sales on them. People seem to be posting them in the 60 to $80 range on the cheap ones. And you obviously have, like, Tarmogoyf, Liliana of the Veil. Um, Karn, all the Eldrazi. There's a lot of expensive ones. Right. Like, those box shoppers are topping out at... Hmm, topping out. That seems bad. Uh, um, they seem to be... Yeah, um, and like again, not a lot of data on them. Four hundred, that price will probably fall. But because you have these things that just there's going naturally going to be a floor on how bad your box is going to be. Unlike you know, iconic um, Masters twenty five, like some of those I've seen people open boxes and you can get like some really really bad boxes. Um, like but with like boxes for iconic. Yeah, yeah, like that was definitely possible if you kind of missed and you didn't really hit like. Uh, Horizon Camp, uh, Aether Vial, the rare slot. Like, it was possible to get some real bad boxes, but 
here because you have a floor it makes it like i want like i don't want to say it's a surefire thing to open to make your money back but it feels like you're not going to take a huge bath on um on cracking them so i feel like okay with this uh mainly the higher price point is probably going to disincentivize a lot of people to be able to open this product in volume so there's some possibility like we might see like a decent shortage on singles um and the box hoppers themselves might be fairly limited in terms of how many are like will actually get out there uh but for now like i think like, like if you haven't gotten your product in like look at black, black friday sales if anyone like you know, offers up like one box or like a case on the cheap or something. Or if you have like some extra credit with like Star City, I think like I think picking up some amount of this product is not a bad place to be at right now. And the interesting thing is they're saying that we won't get another one of these sets for a while. This is like and they say that, you know, we weren't even expecting Ultimate Masters at the end of this year. So you never know what can happen next year. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens the next time they do a Masters set. Um I'm really liking the Eldrazi as pickups more than something like Karn. Just because it's a little easier for both competitive and casual players to stomach like a $25 Emrakul than it is for them to stomach a $60 Karn. So I'll be looking specifically at targeting cards that see play in both casual and competitive formats. Um, and maybe Noble Hierarch as well would probably be something else I'd be interested in. Um, but I, I think just like Iconic and M25, if you target the tier one staples, you can probably do well, but there's a limit to how many of those you can sell because when the price gets too high again, players get priced out. And I'd rather be able to make 20% margins repeatedly on casual cards that I know I can buy and sell than like holding on to $1,000 worth of cards and like, getting 1300 for them in three months or something. But obviously we have different markets. So that's the big thing. But from like a casuals perspective on finance, I'm looking more at the Eldrazi and uh, looking at the price patterns that have happened to them before and where they've fallen. What are your thoughts, Ed? Um, I, I don't disagree with you. Like, I'm not saying it's bad. Like, obviously there's a lot of people who feel... Um, a lot of people feel that like the reprints are just gonna like crush the value of their collection, which is not wrong. That is correct. Um, I used to think that way, but you, um, both from a store perspective and as an individual perspective, you have to realize like you can't be holding onto cards. Like if you somehow thought like Gorio's Vengeance or like you're through the breaches, like like those cards deserve to be like thirty to forty dollars. Like that's just like that's that's just incorrect. Um, like, I think it's less about an issue of, like, people being priced out and it just um, more of, like, a place and time when cards can be reprinted. Um, and just, just just to kind of keep modern in, I, I guess, to keep modern in control right now, um, if any of you, like, hadn't been playing back in, like, 2015, like, towards the beginning of modern, um, modern very much had, like, kind of a uh, reserveless-esque feel to it. Because we like people were operating on the basis that, hey, we know that Masters is only going to be like like the last time it was it was uh, printed was in like 2013. It's now 2015. We haven't two we haven't had a reprint in uh, for anything in like two years now. We know what's gonna be in. Hopefully, we're insulated again for two years, which was true. Like the next Master set was 2017, and it just made prices go up like crazy. Probably like almost every other week, just cards that 
This card recently evaded being reprinted. If this card started to see play in standard, it was just going to be very, very, very expensive. Um, and um, and that probably wasn't the place where Wizards wanted Modern to be. Like with this, there's a lot of like there's staples all over the place, but with a lot of modern staples, you don't really have the kind of the outliers that make modern super expensive anymore. Like if you look at um, most decks, you can probably pinpoint the cards where these have been reprinted or these are just naturally affordable, like sub like 10 to $20, which probably makes up like 80 to 90% of your decks. And then you can say, and then you can imagine that most people would be, okay, I have everything for the decks. I just need a playset of X cards to finish it or like whatever, right? Like in humans, it would be, I'm short like Cavern Souls and Noble Hierarchs in um in Tron, maybe I just need like one Eldra. I know it doesn't like um play like Emrakoi more, but like that was probably a, sh a short point. Um people might be short like a like celestial colonnades, uh, celestial colonnades for their blue white deck. Um like one engineered side uh, explosive in their sideboard, you did the little on avails for John, like whatever. Like there's a lot of these cards that kind of fall in that category. You know, people every single card in every single deck that it, it could possibly be. Uh, right, <laughs> but um, but like that's probably where modern was, and like without these like huge outliers of cards that are just much 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 more expensive. That's keeping keeping people from playing whatever they want modern. Uh, now, like with this set, this there shouldn't really like, be those outliers. Like now, we probably are looking at like Scalding Tarn, like Mox Opal. Like those are probably the two cards that are like pushing the hundred dollar threshold. Whereas if you compare modern to how it was in like 2015, you had a lot of cards that were probably trading that line. That was when 2015 was when Parmagoyf was basically still hundred dollars. Um, hundred and fifty. Yep. Before before the second reprint came in. Um, yeah. So, like, again, like, yes, it, like, reprints will hurt the value of your collection. It's unfortunate, like, if you're losing, if you're losing some value because you had, you know, your human decks, like, you paid 70, 80 on camera souls, no hierarchy, et cetera. But, um, that this is just kind of the policy that Wizards has adopted. And if it's not reserveless, it's not safe anymore. And there's no shortage of people out there who even think, like, the reserveless will be safe for an extended period of time. But it allows for a lot more turnover on these cards. It was really, really, really hard to sell. Um, to be selling like engineer explosive at like seventy dollars or whatever, uh, social colonies at fifty. Um, like those things weren't things that would happen on a frequent basis. Like there's just so many people out there that yes, you do eventually sell through them, but you make larger margins and you turn over cards way, way, way faster if. Uh, you do have these cards that are more accessible to people. And for the most part, um, I imagine that, like, Back to Basics is actually the perfect example here. Um, even with the reprint, like, there will probably be people who still like the old frame, the old art. But now you just are opening up an, a bit, uh, venue for people to buy th this card on cheap if they want, which would be the Ultimate Master version. You probably have people that will still hold on to the original, and that will keep the price. There will probably be, like, a reasonable price disparity between the two. Um, and then you now have an option for like people can start buying foils as well if, if they want to be foiling out their deck. And I don't think like that's the worst thing that can happen uh, with these reprint sets. I think a big thing to look at is um, the Scars of Mirrodin lands. If I was holding onto those right now, I would probably dump stuff like Blackleaf Cliffs. I understand that Blackleaf Cliffs and Scalding Tarn 
we'll see a short-term increase, but those are probably the next things that Wizards wants to target next year at some point with some type of supplemental product. Um, and then I would be looking more at the cons of Tarkir fetch lands where Biolists have gone down to like $8 and for non-GPs, to clarify, Ed, like most of the big vendors are paying 8 to $9 on polluted deltas right now. And we've seen most of the cons lands go down 15 to 20%. Um, but that's something where it's not a number one priority for Wizards right now, and those could see better gains than stuff like Scalding Tarn and Blackleaf Cliffs, which are already expensive. I mean, so the, the, the cons lines are still pretty expensive, just like as alternates. Um, nope. So I would disagree, because compared to where they were in Standard, they've never hit that high point again. There's plenty of true. for them to throw. That's true. No, so no, it, it's just like... It's they're in a weird spot because there's not any of them that you specifically need, except for the mountain ones. I think the mountain ones are the ones that are like the most expensive, right? It's wooded foothills and uh, bloodstained mire. Yep. Because those are ones that you can't not play. There's others that you can avoid playing, but by playing Delta and Strand mostly. But it's just like weird to say that they've been going down when the popularity of modern has been going up. Is it maybe because there's just more people playing decks that aren't playing, that aren't three color? Like, are there just less three color mana bases going around where you just need all of those fetches and shocks to make them work? If I played modern, I could tell you, but I'm just looking at the fact that Delta and Strand specifically are falling back and looking at that and going, okay, no one has money right now. This may be a good time to get a good return next year if they return at the same price that they were six months ago. Yeah, I think I think part of the problem is that like now I'm I just like looked up the most popular decks in modern, and it's Dredge, Humans, Mono Green, Tron, uh, Azorius Control. These are all decks that don't play many if any fetches. Like the Humans deck because of its if it's all creature land or. Lands that produce mana for creatures, mana base, like the Unclaimed Territory, Horizon Canopy, Caravan Souls, Ancient Ziggurat. That's, I think, also part of the reason why Fetchlands have fallen off a little bit, because you don't need any for that deck. Correct. But if we see modern transition with guilds or something else back to control, because Azorius gets new toys of whatever, then it's just something to think about. If control yeah. becomes dominant again. I mean, it doesn't even need to be control. Like, it's just like Jund gets better, and people play more That's Jund, or it gets cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Any of those decks that play more that play more fetches. I was just thinking. I was just trying to figure out why fetch lands would be going down since they're the best lands in the game that are able to be reprinted. Hmm. Yep. All right. Well, we we solved uh, that thing. Anything else you guys want to touch on with Ultimate Masters before we move on? Um. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this set. Uh, I know if you're listening live, uh, the final, like, the whole set is going to be spoiled on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And uh, I've been looking at, like, the number crunch of, like, what cards can still be in the set. And the thing that I think I found most interesting is that if you are thinking about playing the Affinity deck or the Robots deck or whatever you want to call it in Modern, I think that's the deck that has the least chance of getting any significant reprints. There are not a lot of artifact slots left in this in this set, and unless like literally every single missing card is a card for that deck, you're basically not going to see any price decrease 
Um, I know a lot of people are waiting to see, you know, oh, are they going to reprint this for my deck? Are they going to reprint this for my deck? Like, I, I am not, I am not so sure that pretty much anything from Affinity is going to be reprinted. Like Mox Opal, I feel like if it was in the set, would have been a masterpiece. Arcbound Ravager could be in the set, but there's not a lot of artifacts, so it's like kind of miserable to put it in a set that you're trying to draft around some of the cards in this set. Um, I'm, I'm feeling like. I can safely say if you're looking to buy affinity stuff that it's not going to get cheaper. Also glimmer voids aren't like a key part of the deck. Do you remember when that card was 30 bucks? Now we have uh, that ether revolt card. That's like four bucks. Spire of industry. Yeah. So it's like an extra hundred dollars off of affinity. Uh, Yeah. I mean like, I don't even know if glimmer void can still be in the set. Does. Oh yeah, it can. There's one, there's one slot or there's two slots where it could be. Ah, I don't think uh, it'll it will be. I don't think there's any reason for it to be. I agree. I mean, there's like I said, there's not that many artifacts in this set. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe ten artifacts total. Like you can't put Arcbound Ravager. I mean, you can, but you they probably won't put Arcbound Ravager and Glimmer Void in this the style of set, especially where the land slot where Glimmer Void could be could be like Horizon Canopy, or. Um, I don't know, like, you could do, like, Flagstones, that's never been reprinted, Gemstone Caverns, there's a lot of, like, weird stuff, Deserted Temple, Hall of the Bandit Lord, there's, like, a lot of weird, expensive cards that could be in those slots instead. Yep. Ed, any final thoughts on UMA? Uh, if you're looking to basically pick up any cards, I wasn't aware that the EMA spoiler was gonna, like, basically done in three days, um, just keep an eye out. UMA. Or, I'm sorry, UMA, Jesus. Um, it just, like, keep your eyes out for, like, Black Friday sales. Any stores, like, TCG announced that they're going to do, like, a massive sale, I believe. I imagine it will start Friday. It probably is, like, a Black Friday through Cyber Monday type deal. Greater than 10%, allegedly. We don't know the details, but it's uh, one of those things. What was that? Allegedly greater than 10%. Right. Um, which is, like, again, a pretty decent amount if it's if it's if you're waiting... That's enough to pull the trigger, especially if you can kind of like break up your purchases multiple times. I imagine a lot of people aren't going to be throwing down, you know, six hundred bucks or for whatever they're missing in modern all at once, or three hundred dollars or two hundred dollars for standard. If you can break it up, getting ten percent back on six hundred dollars, like that's a non-zero amount of money. That's like a very very reasonable amount. If uh, that like if you if you're gonna spend that price if you're gonna spend that money again in like a month or something to pick up cards uh once uma drops um like that's definitely a decent place to be if you want like seal product uh, i i remember like almost every year most stores like black friday they usually have like a glut of sealed product that goes on sale I channel fireball have already released their sealed product stuff and it's not great right now but like ed said we may see some stuff specifically on black friday yeah, um, and like on, on Twitter, I posted like uh, both iconic and Masters twenty five boxes uh, are not a bad place to be um, to be parking your money. So, like those are things I've been keeping keeping an eye on, uh, just to see if like they're just like if I can snipe up some of those boxes on cheap. But uh, until Wednesday, like we'll just we'll just have to kind of see. Um, I imagine starting over the weekend, we'll start to see like a lot of price corrections on cards that have. Um, that have like that are confirmed to not be in the set. Uh, since especially since the the thing that I'm most curious about is because we have 
no master sets for a little while. Who knows what that means, right? Apparently, core sets were supposed to go away with Origins in 2015. And lo and behold, like three years later, it's back. Um, we so... got Battle for Zendikar. What's that? We got Battle for Zendikar. You said that we weren't going to get core sets. Oh, God. Right. Battle uh, for Zendikar was before Magic Origins. Shut up. Oh. Um, but, like, it'll be kind of interesting to see, like, what they do with, like, uh, reprinting product going forward. Uh, but for now, like, short-term play, anything that avoids reprints probably going to get fairly pricey for a little bit. Um, I imagine Modern is also... Uh, some Modern staples that avoid the reprint are also going to be the same boat. You can check my tweet uh, about that as well. But uh, let's for now, go dual lands. But but for now, like we'll just kind of write out the the short spoiler season, see what comes back, and see kind of what prices will correct over the weekend. Dual lands are at an all time low since like last year, and it's definitely something where you start seeing uh, volcanic islands like be listed for like 2017 prices. And you, you start thinking, Hmm, maybe these will go up again. Uh, the big thing is like how crazy the, um, tax push is going to be versus the crypto push that happened this year. But, um, duels may be a safe place to be at right now. That's, uh, it's just something where like, I'm seeing people post volcanics and undergrounds to pay rent. And they're like starting to undercut each other so much that it's it's reminiscent of 2017 prices. So if you're trying to finish them, now is a perfect time to buy them. It would not surprise me to start to like see a, a massive rebound on old school and uh, oh, we'll like, get into that. We oh, will okay. get into that on this cast. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I'm happy. I'm I'm happy with what Jeremy has to say. Then dual ends. Yay. Um, Jim, do you want to go ahead and tell us? Which two winners won this week? Well, I only picked one because you didn't tell me that there should have been two. So you can pick the other one. Last week that the oh come on. What do you mean? You said last week. Last week we didn't have a cast. Why we're doing two this week? All right, go ahead and read the first one. I'll pull up the second one. Okay, so this is a question that a lot of people ask. So I decided that we should probably answer it this week in light of the spoilers that people are seeing now. So Theo have been not. I probably butchered that. I apologize, sir. Uh, he says, I want to jump into modern. If I'm down to drop 1K, should I try to find a deal on UMA on a case or buy singles after the market floods with the new singles? Uh, if you're trying to build a deck, it is almost, it's like 99.9% .9 out of 100 to be better to just buy the singles because you could buy a case of UMA and you can open one Liliana and you need four for your Jun deck and you're no closer you're not really closer to what you know to playing magic as you should have been um, unless you really want to draft it or unless you really want a wide breadth of singles like the only person the only type of person that I can recommend purchasing a box or a case or whatever is someone that wants a lot of different things and is okay having some stuff that isn't high on their priority list, which is basically just commander players. Like almost every rare mythic has some amount of value to you. The ones that don't are ones that are very expensive. Like, yeah, the commander player doesn't really want a Tarmogoyf, but you can sell that to your store or, you know, trade it to another player pretty easily for most of the money back that you spent. Whereas like 
a modern player that opens a demonic tutor has no use for it. It's not a card that you're going to play, and it's a card that you now have to get rid of that you could have just, you know, used that money to buy a card you actually needed instead and been closer to playing your deck. So as as we'll always say here, it's almost always better to just buy the singles that you need than it is to buy the sealed product. Ed? Uh, I, I think like I think the analysis there is like pretty much spot on. If you're purely looking, uh, if you're purely looking at like from the EV perspective and the rational uh, perspective, it always makes sense to just buy singles. You're saving the most money. You're getting exactly what you want. There's no shaft to deal with on top. Um, you don't have to worry about like Ed's head. There's no shaft to deal with on top. What? What? I no. Oh. I um, hope so. one of our listeners got that. Maybe. I'm 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 lost. So someone can explain it to me if I ever see them in person. Anyways, um, like if you're if you're specific, like in Jim's example, if you're specifically wanting John and you're short like Liliana's, like some raging rubies, wherever, it's gonna cost you way less to buy the Liliana's, especially if you combine that with like, um, like the like ten plus percent kickback or what have you. Or if you're trying to trade specifically into them, that that's that's gonna save you way more money than like the thousand dollars you spend on getting a box. Um, if you like don't really care, if you have like like if you already have a modern deck and you're like slowly working towards the second one, and you do play like Legacy and Commander as well, for example, you have you know you don't really care that you know your box topper like might contain some sweet card you it might contain like you know something that you don't need at all it might have like a label but you don't play legacy for example um and you're and you like then like buying case is fine um but again like if you're if you're trying to if you're trying to save the most amount of money just buy whatever singles you need just like stay focused kind of find the good a good opportunity to buy them trade for whatever you need with your store um rather than just like shell out the money but like if you if you do get like utility you can fire a draft with your friends and like get more out of the more um use out of buying a case or whatever then then i would say go for it but for, I, I imagine most people like who are especially anticipating like the reprints just just spend the money on what you need and just put like the excess money elsewhere if you have a thousand dollars you should put it in a real investment but uh once that's taken care of listen to everything that they just said. So, um, Trevor Deutsch is our other winner. He says, what do you consider to be the bulk rate for commons, uncommons, rares, and mystics? I think he meant to type mythics. Has the printing of master sets and more supplemental products in the last few years affected this? And I wanted to touch on this because Star City just lowered their bulk rare buy list to seven cents. And they're now paying quarters on foil mythic, which there used to be back in the old days, the Wild West. There is a significantly higher multiplier for foil mythics than there were for foil rares. So I wonder if, I think we can all agree that the printing of master sets has affected the price of bulk. But when he asked, what do you consider the bulk rate? Do you guys still consider bulkers at seven or eight cents? You're like, are you down to a nickel at this point? Because it feels like that's where it's going to be at in a couple of years. Well, I'll start because uh, I don't really buy bulkers for the sake of having bulkers. Um, I have an LGS that will pay 
probably more money than I'm willing to deal with. Like, I could offer to pay someone the same rate or like a penny above, but then I have to go sort through all of it. And honestly, most of the time, people don't ever give you anything that's worth anything. At least for me, it doesn't make sense for me to pick out the like quarter or 50 cent buy list rares, even if I know what they are, because it's just not worth my time. So I honestly probably wouldn't give anyone anything more than what the LGS was already going to give them. So at this point, I just, I, I don't want to own any of this stuff. I'd rather just get cards I know are good and played. Um, on the flip side, I go out of my way to like purposely buy bulk rares that I like, want to play with because I'm a filthy commander casual player. So like I bought a fight to the death very recently, which would probably be in the bulk rare pile that I could have gotten for a nickel or whatever, but or a dime. But it's it's worth like I'd rather pay the extra money to get the card I actually want instead of buying what could be good things or could be a bunch of useless things. So I personally I don't I don't think that it's necessary to buy it. And then on the flip side, if I do have a bulk rare, how many rare, flip sides are there? There's only two flip sides on cards, Jim. You know what? No, that's not true. There are cards that have three sides. There's uh dual masters cards that are three sided. All right. Continue there's a on. there's a side one, a side two, and then you like close it, and it's a side three. It's great. Um, but from the perspective, if I had the bulk rares, I'd probably not sell them to a store for you know seven or eight cents. It doesn't feel worth it unless I know they're hundred percent truly, truly going to be bulk forever. There's always the like weird chance that like some card comes out, it's a weird combo with some old bulk rare, and then like all of a sudden it's a bunch of money. It's kind of like the. Um, yeah, well, seed time is a real, really weird card, but yeah. I was going to say it's kind of like Mishra's Bobble, which for a really long time was worth basically nothing, and then oh, people so started playing it in Death Shadow, and then it became, you know, a $50 uncommon for no reason. Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me to sell things in bulk unless you for sure know that you don't need it or you need, like, the space in your house or whatever. And huh? Uh, I think, like, the bulk rate, like, it's no surprise it's been dropping, um, like, if you, like, on the, like, the GPU circuit, there's just, like, it It was kind of a slow thing over time, and then I think you had, like, more and more, like, um, like, vendor-type people that was looking to offload the stuff, um, and, like, I started to notice, like, especially, it seemed to really, really pick up starting, like, in 2017, every show there would be a ton of people like hey do you buy bulk rares um and then they would like like wheel in a hand truck full of bulk rares um and it doesn't seem like much but when you start considering like you have like a lot of these biggest stores are picking up like like fifty thousand bulk rares over the course of a weekend or like what whatever number have you um it's like it'll definitely start to just accumulate over time uh, like some of the bigger stores, like Star City, like Troll and Toad, like a lot of these places have like very, very big warehouse. And I when I talk to like you know various vendors, like how much, like how many like bulk cards you own, not just like rares, but like commons, uncommons. It's like this is like a fairly staggering amount, mainly because, um, it's like kind of a one way street. Like stores like will definitely make their money on people who. You know, like, hey, like, here's, you know, like, like 10,000 cards, like two 5Ks worth. I haven't, like, gone through as many years since I played. Uh, just, like, you know, I'm, I'm just ready to bulk it all off. 
yeah, like you'll make your money going through and picking that. But for the people that like actually take the time to buy collections, sort out, you know, like pick it for stuff that's good and then just put it back into bulk wares. Uh, that stuff like generally builds up pretty fast. Um, and it's no surprise that like vendors can pay less one because we can afford to, because there's always going to be no shortage of people that have bulk wares and don't have anything to do with them. Um, I imagine we're not far off from a point where um, like bulk wares will probably be down to five cents. Again, mainly because a lot of people, their out was to, uh, for, for a lot of vendors, especially, um, their out was they buy less than Star City. They do like one quick pick through, pull out like anything that's like a quarter or more, for example, uh, and then just ship it back to Star City, get credit. And then, you know, they basically make up their initial investment because they paid less than Star City, buy less. And then if anything they picked out was just gravy on top. Um, so, like, it, and there really aren't any big vendors that are paying 10 cents now. I imagine you have like some local game stores. I'm sure I've heard people say like, oh, I'll just take it to my local game store. They still pay 10 cents. Uh, but like if you, if you can do that, great. I imagine most of those game stores aren't capable of absorbing like, you know, like 25 Ks of bulk rares. They'll probably buy like one 5 K of bulk rares or something. Um, so I imagine like seven, eight cents is probably standard going forward. I imagine at Grand Prix, you'll start seeing most vendors pay five cents. And unfortunately, most people like aren't really positioned to say no. Like more power to you if you brought like, you know, if you brought like 15,000 bulk rares out hoping to sell them and hoping to get 10 cents, more power to you if you want to take them back to your local game store and try and get like 10 cents on them. But most people don't say no. And then mainly because like people who do a bulk rares are basically looking to sell them anyways. Uh, comments on comments are even harder. Uh, if we're like, we've gone from like $4 to like, three dollars i imagine like one dollar per like one k of commons uncommons isn't far off especially because uh with how widely printed like the new standard sets are you don't really see a lot of like value accumulating in the commons uncommons like you did in like some of the older sets so uh so kudos to people who are like pick bulk and still buy bulk on a cheap but i think that market um is uh it's going to be one that's harder and harder to uh, to prop up. I, um, I'm calling it now. Two years from now, uh, bulkers are going to be five cents on all buy lists. Got that 2020 vision. Um, I, it's going to be interesting, but like it, it, people, a lot of times, and like Ed and I see this more than most people, shops will go through like five to 15,000 bulkers a month but they're getting it too fast and they'll do exactly what Ed said. And at some point it just becomes the same, like 15 entities selling in a circle where like star city will offer up a pallet of bulkers or a pallet of bulk. Someone will buy that. And like this happened on Twitter last year, star city sold like a million foreign commons and uncommons for $300. The guy spent months picking it and then he had to move and he's like, wait, what do I do with all this? And then he tried to resell it. And then someone bought that. And then I think they sold it to Star City again. And it, it just like keeps going in a circle. So you see that with foreign bulk, especially, but you also see that with um, bulk because Ogre sort of killed the game by like driving around millions of commons and uncommons around all of the US. Um, and same with rares. Really, I think that foreign bulk is best used as kindling for your fire. 
That's... I agree, but I also did not spend $300 or $400 on a million Japanese uh, commons. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Is like people, a lot of people have this misconception that foreign cards are just worth more because they're rarer, but honestly, stores like rather not have them than anything else. So opening a foreign booster box is just infinitely worse than an English one in a lot of cases. I agree. Uh, so, Jim, where can these two people? Oh, wait, Ed, do you want to touch on something? I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if the five cents happened like next year. Like, once. GP vendors start offering like, you know, five cents across the board, mainly one, because that's a nice round number. It's easier to count, et cetera. Like, I, I don't think we even have to wait till 2020. I imagine like, as is like started, like people starting to offer five cents across the board is probably going to just be the norm now. And it's still, if you're a local grinder and you're listening to this cast, there's still plenty of money to be made in bulk. Don't get us wrong. We're just talking about the bulkiest of the bulkiest bulkers or when you're buying a collection in general. But there will still be plenty of room for people to grind by buying bulk and then selling like quarters and up to Card Kingdom that they didn't realize were quarters and up. Like plenty of money in that, especially with bulk commander rares. Um, it's just something to keep an eye out on. Speaking of quarters and up, I found out today that Siren Storm Tamer is $3.50. <laughs> and also yep. uh, Curious Obsession is $3. And, that one I did not know. And... Uh, Charter Course is also three dollars. It's just like, man, I did like the Ixalan pre-release, and now I'm like, man, I should go through like my pre-release kit, make sure I didn't have any of these three dollar cards in there. Maybe if or you should what? not be lazy and like waste time and just like send me ten dollar bills for play sets that I paid like four cents on. Because I'll I'll totally do that. No, I don't want them. I want to sell them. I was gonna pick them. No, no, to no, sell no, them. no. I want to offer them to you. They no, give you I, a good deal. I was going to say, I, I definitely have one Siren Storm Tamer and one Curious Obsession that I had in one Commander deck. Uh, I don't know where it is anymore, but... Uh, oh, it was in the Enchantress deck. I was playing with Dubasa. Anyway, um, I didn't know those were so expensive. Uh, but if you have some, for some reason, in your bulk, or you like draft a lot of Ixalan because you're a glutton for punishment, um, you should probably buy list those. They are very expensive. And Ed probably knows that better than either of us. So, it's uh, all could be fun. Yeah, but he doesn't know the cards on the reserve list, evidently. Right. All right. So, Jim, where can they um, contact you for their free $25 gift certificate? You can send us an email at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com. And uh, next week during the cast, I will send you your $25 gift certificate to coolstuffinc.com. If you'd like to win next week, you need to leave a comment on, or sorry, a question on the article that will go up uh, hopefully on Tuesday the 20th. And uh, if you get chosen, you can win a $25 gift certificate to coolstuffinc.com. All right. So let's get into the fun part of the cast. We don't know how long this will go. We're just sort of going with it. Um, what does that I, mean? I I thought of a good question while I was on the plane to uh, to go over the year because Ed had posted that he's done with Grand Prix for the year. He's not doing Portland in his hometown, which I still refuse to believe. I have a feeling he'll show up either way because um, he'll find some cards in a box and he'll be like, oh, I don't want these, something like that. Um, but Ed says he's done with GPs for the year. So we, we can assume Ed's on vacation for the rest of the year. 
so he he's done working for 2018. What what do you what do you regret the most out of 2018 MTG finance wise? And I'm not making fun of you, Ed. Like besides the whole bet, because people in the live stream are talking about that. Uh, like no joke, they're like asking why you're wearing a hat right now. <laughs> Uh, I, I did not bring this up. It was just natural live streaming. Um, but besides that, like what cards do you look back on and you go, why did I buy that? Or like, why did I sell that? And like, how can our listeners learn from one of the mistakes one of us made and help improve making money or at least going, making the game a little cheaper for themselves? It's like, what do you regret buying or selling? from 2018 for Jim or Ed, because you guys have both bought and sold some shiny cards and some non-shiny cards over this year. So what, what do you got, Jim? Um, oh, man. Like, there's definitely a lot of cards that I probably should have bought that I didn't buy, and there's a bunch of cards that I didn't buy or did buy that I shouldn't have bought, but putting me on the spot and, like, trying to have me think about what exactly I should have done or done differently is, like, really hard to do. Um, I think maybe the thing that I regret the most was not pre-ordering more unhinged basics. Um, unstable? Or sorry, yeah, unstable. The artwork on them is phenomenal. I use them in all of my decks. Uh, I ended up getting a pretty large amount of them, but I feel like I should have gotten more and I should have gotten them for less money. Um, during the pre-order period, it wasn't. It, it didn't seem to me like the prices were reasonable. But at the end of the day, because of the fact that all of the cards in Unstable are, except for Steamflogger Boss, but like still kind of including Steamflogger Boss, are not playable in any format. That the entire value of the pack is the lands. So I should have gone in with the mentality that the lands floor, like the floor for a basic is $3 on average. Like if, if the Island is three twenty-five and the, and the planes is two seventy-five, it, there's still about $3 a land. And I should have bought more when they were pre-ordering for like two or two fifty. Um, obviously that's like very first world problems. Like I still ended up with a bunch of them. I probably could have saved some money if I had the forethought to realize that realistically, none of the cars in this set are going to be worth anything. And buying a, Booster box, although I bought it mostly for the lands, like I could have, I could have just done the same thing instead of buying the booster box and just bought all the basics. Ed, oh boy, where do I start? Um, <clears throat> I uh, so for clarification, uh, I do have GPs left. I actually have three Grand Prix left. I'm leaving for Japan next week. I'll be in GPs Chizuoka. See you there. <clears throat> I will. Uh, I'm not in Portland the following weekend because I will be in Liverpool instead. See you there. Uh, wait, what? Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> Is this actually my life? Am I just going to see you every weekend? Because that would be rather yep. unfortunate. Um, and then uh, I'll be in Vancouver to close out the year. I'll be there as well. I, <laughs> I can't know you're trolling me or this is actually the case. It wouldn't surprise me if it's both. Luckily, I don't see you for more than like one day event so i guess it's probably plus what what do you regret about 2018 like what was something where you were like man i missed the boat on this or i miscalculated demand or something like that uh 
I mean, there, there, there's a few. Like, oddly enough, I wish I bought more masterpieces um, towards the beginning. I wish I got rid of more masterpieces to put towards reserve list stuff. Um, but other than that, like, I don't really have regrets. Like, that's like it's not a healthy, uh, it's not a healthy thing to do. Both kind of from like a business perspective, you can't think of what like what could have been. You just have to accept that. Like it's a learning opportunity and like, obviously like for personal reasons, like just trying to like let stuff like, just like, just kind of trying to like reminisce, think about it. I was like, man, I could have been, I don't know. Like I'm sure like most people say, I wish I bought more cards in 2010, but they didn't realize like if they had just bought Facebook stock when it came out in 2012, they would have made infinitely more money uh, with far less risk. Um, but that, that that's a different discussion. Um, I kind of wish I'd gone a little bit deeper on Dominator stuff, like leading up to Standard. Like I went fairly deep. I didn't realize like a lot of the Dominator stuff would be, like right when Returns uh, Guilds of Ravnica came out, that like Standard would just like be as successful as it has been. Mainly because Standard has kind of been a flop. Um, hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully people don't get tired of Standard come like March or something. Um, yeah, but have you played with Ravnica in Standard ever? It's always good, and I don't know why. Because Tom Ross is on the design team this time, or was on the design team. Yeah, but well, how do you explain Return to Ravnica, and how do you explain OG Ravnica, and Ed, it, it stop sprinkling papers, or we're yeah. going to kick you off the cast? Um, it's definitely an interesting point, Ed, and the funnier part is that you called, every, you and Jim called every card that was going to go up. I was like 0 for 10 on standard calls for that season, besides like Vivian Reed. Um, oh, get done, like, nerd. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm admitting I was wrong. That's not what I regret most from 2018. But um, it was funny because, like, you were like, all right, this card's good because this, this, and this. And then you you only picked up a couple copies instead of, like, believing in your gut. Though the Challenger decks do present an interesting obstacle because this is the first time where, like, a card can be a slam dunk like Jace Architect of Thought, but Wizards may just, like, drop it in a deck to, like, make sure it's not as expensive as it could have been. Yeah, I think that there's going to be a lot of Ixalan cards that are going to end up, if they do Challenger decks again, which I hope they do, because I think they were pretty good, and they helped people get back into Standard if they really wanted to. The problem was, like, Standard was kind of toxic at the time, and people, even though they had a pretty reasonable way to get in, didn't really want to. Yep. Um, this time, I think that a lot more people will be willing to take, you know, take up the offer of the pretty cheap deck to go play in FMs. Uh I would be very worried about stuff in Dominaria and Ixalan if you were um, holding on to anything in the longer term. Like, Carnage Tyrant feels like a pretty easy card to include in one of these, and, or if they exist, I should say. Uh, Carnage Tyrant and Veraska's Contempt and, like, History of Banalia, like, that kind of stuff could very easily be in a Challenger deck in the future. But I think... Does anyone remember what time the previous Challenger decks came out? Was it, Two like... Three months before rotation. Okay, so then we still have a long time, right? I think it was like May or something. Yeah, okay. so it's just May. something to keep in mind where you would start to see cards hit the highest price point when wise people were selling out, but a lot of other people were still holding on. That's when they would drop them. But like, right. if you have Carnage Tyrants right now, just get out. Just don't look back because they're not going to be this high ever again, I would argue, and I would probably make a bet on that. Um, I think you're okay to hold them to March. Like usually, I, I just take the money. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what you want to do with it, right? Like, if you're playing with them, I don't think that you have to worry about selling out of them right away. Right away, but like, definitely consider it. 
around March or like make a decision by March because standard cards in general go start to, to decline in price about six months before rotation, which is two sets before they rotate. So like usually there's one last hurrah for the set that comes out. So whatever the spring set is, whichever is, whichever is after Ravnica or the second Ravnica set, I should say. Oh, wait, there's a third Ravnica set, isn't there? I don't remember, to be honest. I thought there was only two. There might be a third one. Anyway, whatever the set is after Ravnica Allegiance, uh, ha whenever that one comes out, you should probably... Yeah, they to three sets. Yeah, th well, it's not a block. It's just three sets on Ravnica in a row. Right. Anyway. When the third Ravnica set comes out, that's when you should very strongly consider getting rid of your Exelon and Dominaria cards and uh, Core set, whatever it is, 2019? Yeah. Core 2019, yeah. All of those cards are probably going to be at their peak, and you're just better off getting rid of them while they slowly decrease in price. Mm. I have a 1% regret, which is I bought, like, the one of the largest ungraded alpha collections last year and, and like i go over this all the time it was like everything alpha beta arabian near mint and i buy listed almost all of it to uh david adams and i made money on it but i mean i could have bought a house if i had held on to everything um, and like selling near mint beta lands for two dollars at the beginning of the year and seeing them be twenty dollars and i had three thousand of them is like horrible to look at so i definitely messed up with old school um, i mean did you but did you mess up though like we talk about this all the time like you shouldn't regret things like that because you made the money that you needed like you you didn't lose any money and correct. you you did make money and at the time it was probably the in your best interest to do that just because they, something spikes after you sell it doesn't necessarily mean you made a bad decision to sell the one regret I do uh, look at looking back and Sigmund, uh, Sig helped me out with this is like how rare alpha is and how little of that stuff in good condition exists. And when I started selling it, I was like, oh, no biggie. I'll have another one of these alpha sets come in. Okay, that doesn't happen. Like, you know, clean alpha stuff does not walk into the shop every day. And uh, it's just something that I'm like, man, why did I like, why did I sell this? Uh, so like, that's the big one. But like, as Ed said, you can't really think about that from a business perspective. The big one is Ed had talked about Nexus of Fate when it was like $12. And he was talking about how expensive they already were in Japan. And we were talking about like the fact that Hyrule Yuya had posted a deck list involving these cards. And you could have done really well just like within the span of two to three days of tripling up your money on that card. And we talked about like, and Ed had even joked that I should bring some over to Japan and we had like a good 10 minute conversation about Nexus of Fate. Um, and then I didn't do anything about it. And then I went up to like $35. And now it's back down to $9. Uh, so it'll be interesting to follow the price trajectory of that card again. Um, so it's just interesting. And then I guess I was A25 this year or last year. I don't even remember at this point. It was in March. It was like the last weekend of March. I regret going deep on that because I thought it was going to be a good master set. I feel like a lot of smaller shops got extremely burned by that. And I just was lucky to escape losing a little bit of money as far as like how many boxes I popped only to see the EV go through the floor. So that, that was just one where it's like, Oh, it's got this, 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 and this. And then like 
two months later, like there's three marquee cards and everything else is chaff. So that's just one of those where it's like, why did I open so many of those boxes? So, yep, that's what I regret. Any, anything else you guys want to touch on uh, as far as regrets go? I have no regrets. All right. Then what is the best thing about 2018 for MTG finance or for your collection pickup? And it's not like humble bragging. It's just like, what trend did you call correctly? Or like, what card were you talking about on the cast? Where you were like, all right, I nailed it. All the stuff I talked about the last like month and a half that is in standard right now. <laughs> um, no, like on a more serious note, like I'm pretty excited for Masters 20 or Ultimate Masters. I'm sorry. Uh, Ultimate Masters, I think, is a pretty sweet set. It has a lot of cards that I was hoping to get cheaper that I was like actively waiting for reprint for. And I think at the end of the year, that's probably going to be the set that I spend the either the most money or the second most money on. I don't really buy standard product. So my spending this year has been pretty much just on sing. I bought singles. I bought the Guilds of Ravnica Mythic Edition and uh, some like uh, commander decks and uh, the guild kits. So I think that this specific set will be the set that I spend the most money on overall, but I'm not sure yet. Like I have to see what, what everyone's pre-order prices go up for. But as far as like the things I'm most proud of um, this year specifically, I think that getting the go the the green planeswalkers and like stressing early that these were definitely worth picking up. Um, even in my like local commander play group, I like posted on our Facebook chat like, "Hey, uh, I know you guys like generally don't buy standard cards, and so they rotate out, and they're like way less expensive, but." Vivian Reed and Vraska Relic Seeker are two cards that I think that can be very good if there's a grindy Golgari deck, which there ended up being. You know, you should probably pick these up now. And a couple of them listened to me and actually purchased them. And, you know, at the end of the day, my job, or not my job, but like my goal here is not to make a ton of money. Like, I'm not trying to like make this my job. I'm just trying to play my hobby a little bit cheaper. And when I'm able to help other people that I know personally, uh, do that. It, it's like it feels like one of the bigger wins to me. Ed, uh, <clears throat> like I'm not. I'm not sure. Like it's. I don't find myself like. I guess I. I shouldn't say that. Like I think a lot of what I do is I've come to terms. Like I don't always make the right decision when it comes. Like just from like a financial perspective. Um, Right, like I'm, I'm like, I'm willing to take very, very, very high risk on things. Um, like if it means a bigger payoff later, uh, but that means I probably take more risk than I have to, and that's something like I accept. Um, I think I had mentioned uh, at some point where uh, I want to say it was like probably in August, probably before Santa was going to happen, uh, probably rotating, and I said like I don't think it's an unreasonable assumption. Like I would be okay buying like a hundred of every mythic from like rivals of Ixlon or something. And my rationale was that um, you only need like two or three of them to go through the roof and everything else, if you break even on or lose a bit of money on, that's fine. And uh, like, that's like a very, very high risk play. But like in this case, um, rivals of Ixlon has definitely paid off. There's definitely like, you know, a lot of cards Mortal that Sun. what's up. Immortal son, right? 
Immortal Sun, Rekindling Phoenix, Azor's Gateway, right? Like, like those are ones that have definitely paid off. And most of the other ones, like, you're, you're not really losing money on because, like, as a mythic, there's not a lot of them. The ones, like, they, like, most of them are already, like, fairly casual cards. Like, Alenda the Dust Rose, that card is, like, that card is, like, pushing $5 now. Uh, nope. for Violist on it is six dollars. Okay, well there you go. Um, like like most buyless will be like four dollars. Uh, the retail isn't like terribly much higher than that, but that's the type of card that like, you know, like there's almost no risk with like paying like basically retail on that. Um, yep. ninety five pays six. Ed. Okay, duly noted. Um, anyways, like because I'm taking high risks, like I have to, I like I've just come to terms like. There's like a very very reasonable chance that the best case scenario on this is I make my money back. Um, but like for the things that like I went deep on, like you know, like masterpiece for example, like the, it feels like a lifetime ago, like for people who like still remember April. But um, the kind of the first like boom cycle we had this year was with masterpieces when they're just getting bought out left and right, and then almost immediately following that we started having the boom cycle. It started with uh, Tabernacle being bought out. Um, Tabernacle was like thirteen hundred dollars, like a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars. Most vendors were paying like, you know, probably in the like seven to eight hundred dollar range. And then I believe it was like GP Seattle or something that was kind of it was like Seattle. Yeah, like it was like the first tipping point. Um, someone like posted like they were paying twelve hundred dollars on Tabernacle, and like within a week, uh, Tabernacle went from like, uh, like the twelve hundred dollar range for basically near bit ones to like three thousand dollars. Um. And then that kind of started like a cascading trend. Like um, there were a few cards. Bizarre, I think, was not far behind Tabernacle. And then you just started to see reserve list cards just kind of like uh, Duel Lands. Sorry, Duel Lands uh, were probably like the next one. And by the time Vegas was rolling around, like power had started to explode. Um, like all these old school cards, there was like kind of a period, like the tail end of it was in June when basically if the card was reserve list, it was going to like explode in price. Um, and, like, I definitely did well. I definitely capitalized that. And now, like, we're kind of... I don't really want to say, like, we're kind of on the bus cycle of this, but, um, like, I was happy to get out when I did on a lot of stuff. Um, I'm definitely, like, a little sympathetic towards people who got burned on some of these, right? Like, if you had bought basic Back to Basics, like, you know, a month or two ago, you were probably paying $80, $100 um, on that card. Uh like, if you got play out of it, if you got, like, you know, your $100 of play out of it, great, right? Like, you're the type of person that is going to keep Magic alive. You're not you're not in it for, like, the value of the cards. You're not in it from the financial perspective. You're there because you like to play Magic. Like, more power to you. Um, but, like, like I, I'm, I'm in this for profit, right? I don't have any, like, real attachment to my cards. I barely have time to play Magic anymore at all. So, um, like, I have, to, I have to count my wins where I can get them, mainly because... With the with the model of just taking high risks, like I incur a fair amount of losses as well. That's actually Ed. You touched on what I was happy about. Um, I was really into old school, like buying and selling that stuff on Twitter up until GP Vegas, and then I just stopped. And it went from like me being offered collections from players after Vegas to like vendors approaching me and asking like if I wanted all their old school stuff. And I'm glad that I didn't say yes to buying old school stuff from either players or vendors after Vegas. And then just like literally having an infinite amount of dollars just like disappear, which is what we're seeing with a lot of vendors that 
paid too aggressively on this stuff, especially on reserveless cards. Um, that's going to be a long time where they either have to sell at a loss or they have to take that money that they've invested and just sort of shove it to the side and wait for them to see a return, which a lot of the smaller vendors and like players even can't afford to do. So we've seen basically every vendor at this point slash their buyout prices on everything old school because they just had too much of this, specifically ABU, which was selling their stuff on eBay. Um, it was just interesting to see how in January old school was sort of a fad. And I went to Europe and I played like I played in the one in Birmingham. Um, and then it like became a huge thing in April and May. And then they had the giant tournament in Vegas. And then all of a sudden vendors who thought they could keep making the same returns that they made the first couple of months just got burned out. I mean, we were looking at underground C specifically being bought for $750 by MTG deals at Vegas. And the amount of money that those guys may have lost is just insane uh, for what they paid. I don't know if they made money on it. I hope they did, but I'm guessing if you paid $750 on like a couple hundred underground C's, you're probably not moving them all before the market readjusted. Unless you want to sit on them, like I said, and wait for a better return. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the old school and dual lands next year. I think duels will rebound faster than old school um, because they're so low right now. But I'm just lucky that I didn't commit a large amount of capital for my business in the old school and just like lose everything. So I don't know. It's just interesting because uh, I know Jim doesn't really deal with old school that much, but we have a lot of old school customers. So most of those cars don't do anything in Commander, and the ones that do are on the reserve list, so I'd rather not own them anyway. Right. Yeah. It's a very niche format that, for Ed and I, brought about some good profits, and then for a lot of people, it was not great. Um, all right. You guys want to keep going or wrap it up? Uh, I want to talk about my... This is kind of like... I don't know how to describe. This is a little, it's a little cocky of me, but I made a list of lands that I thought were going to be in, um, in Ultimate Masters, based on what was missing and what could fit alphabetically. So one of them I know for sure is in because it got spoiled today, which was Phyrexian Tower. I want to run the other ones by you and see what your thoughts are. So. This is not, like, we don't usually do, like, prediction things, but I've been right once, so, like, I'm riding on cloud nine. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get in while I still can. All right. So, I have, uh, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I have nine cards. The The first one is in slot 240, which is between Creeping Tar Pit and Dark Depths, and I have Dakmore Salvage. Um, so... Also, I just want to like bring it back a little bit. The reason why I picked the cards that I picked were based on the cards that we knew from the initial spoilers. So this is only with the information of the box toppers and uh, reanimate because someone I think or Intomb I think someone spoiled accidentally early. So uh, the first one I picked was Dakmore Salvage. There's not a lot of things that fit in that slot, but it's a card that has Dredge, and we already know Dredge is in the set because Light from the Limb was in the set. So I thought that was a pretty easy inclusion uh, with the fact that we have flashback. Madness and Delve in the set. The Dakmore Salvage feels like a pretty easy um, card to include, and it's a few dollars. So if you're thinking about buying any, you should probably wait. 
at 242, I have a Deserted Temple. Uh, this is another land that's been not reprinted in forever, and we've already seen Phyrexian Tower. I saw your face, Ed. You're like, ugh, Deserted like Temple. One. You do you like that one, or you don't like that I do one? Not, I don't agree. It's your call. So the the lands that are available in that slot are pretty pretty small um, because they could do like Horizon Canopy again or like Ink Moth Nexus or Dryad Arbor, but like I tried to pick something that was different, something that wasn't reprinted recently and something that'd be pretty easy to put in this kind of a set. A lot of the stuff in that slot could be dual lands, but we already know that there's no other dual lands cycle because they can't fit all of them. So it's either that or like some weird thing like Exotic Orchard or I don't know, like a Manland or something. It's it's hard to fit that kind of card in. Um, but I have high hopes for it. Uh, I feel like they've remembered that cards before um, Mirrodin exists, so hopefully we can get this Odyssey block card in the set. Uh, at 243, I had Eldrazi Temple. Uh, there are already a bunch of Eldrazi in the set. that We've seen all his dust and... Uh, Eldrazi Conscription since then. Uh, you have to have a way to cast them, right? Like, I feel like this is a pretty easy shoe-in. It should probably be uncommon again, and it'll bring, bring up the value of the set a lot. How do you feel about that one? I agree. Ed, do you have any any feelings about any of this that I've, got, I've said so far? Uh, not really a tangent, but for anyone who is actually, like, kind of intrigued by this, what Jim is doing, if not, like, we probably should just, like, touch on the concept of number crunching real quick. Um, if you go to Scryfall and you actually look on, uh, it's it's somewhere I can't remember actually how to get to it. Um, okay, you go to the go to the front page, and on the main page, like the regular no no frills page, uh, underneath where it says advanced search, it says Ultimate Masters ongoing spoilers. You click on that link, and then uh, right above the card images, it says predict imminent UMA spoilers with our name and number crunch. And if you click there. It'll bring you up kind of like a spreadsheet style thing where it'll list all the cards, all of the card numbers, and then when you click in the gaps, it'll tell you what cards can fit there. Yep. Um, and then on the left side, it tells you like how many cards are in this gap, so you can kind of try to figure out what is supposed to be in there. Uh, I made this before they had this tool. It is a lot, it's a lot of help and easy if you uh, open it up to follow along. Um, yes. Yeah, so like if... Uh... Yeah, so like just like if in, in case anyone's still missing it, like this is kind of like how people determine like this is like it's been crunched out or whatever, right? Like the most simple basic case is uh, two thirty six is ancient tomb, two thirty seven is Cavern Souls. Um, like between that, they're like Bloodstained Mart will be reprinted because nothing is, can be between those alphabetically, and by extension, because Bloodstained Mart won't be in a set, you can probably assume that the remaining four cons, uh, Allied Color Fetches, won't either. Um, so. In, so in case anyone wasn't aware of what Jim's trying to do, that's kind of what it is. Um, as for the cards themselves, I don't believe Desert Temple will be one. I think it's more likely to be something like Dryad Arbor, which is like a $7 uncommon. Um, Isn't it 11 is, is it that high? Whatever. Whatever. But um, I think it's more likely we're to see like kind of like more modern era type cards other rather than like, like, a, um, like a pre-modern era card. I don't know, man. We got Phyrexian Tower. That was a really weird one that I don't think a lot of people saw coming, mostly because they probably thought it was on the reserve list. 
Um, so after that, uh, the next gap is at 246, and I had uh, Manamo School at Water's Edge. Uh, it's one of the standout Kam Kamigawa lands that's particularly expensive because it's the only one that does anything relevant, and it makes blue mana, which is just two good things in Commander. Uh, the foils are like basically a billion dollars, um, and I think that they'd rather put... doesn't have a foil. That's what we're getting at here. Jim no, I like do. I I do have. I no no no. I definitely have a Kamigawa foil. Uh, I bought it before Commander was really popular, so it wasn't very expensive. But uh, yeah, right now they're I think like probably like a hundred dollars each or something silly because Kamigawa foils basically don't exist. Um, but it's a card that like fits in a lot of blue Commander decks. It's hard to put in a lot of weird places. Uh, they've shown in recent Commander or in recent Master sets the willingness to reprint. Weird Kamigawa lands like um, what, what's the one that draws a card? The one Kamiga that do the one? weird the Kamigawa land that draws a card. It's two tap. Each player draws a card. Is, is that yeah, yeah. Center of the Sea. Yeah, that card was also really expensive until they reprinted. Now it's like worth basically nothing. Um, so. I'm I'm feeling some weird Kamigawa land. If it's not this one, maybe it's like Hall of the Bandit Lord. Maybe they'll do something to spice up the set for us. Uh, at 247, I have Petrified Field. I know it's another like card that probably most people don't know what it does because it's from Odyssey again, I think. Um, it's just a really extensive card. It's very rare and... Uh, foils are also a million dollars, and I don't have a foil one of this, and I'd like to own a foil one. Uh, at 248, I had Phyrexian Tower. We know it is 248. That is the correct number and the correct slot, so there's definitely something in this set between... Or there's two things between Lava Call Reachers and Phyrexian Tower, so it could still be Manamo. If they want, they could do Ouroboro or some other weird land. Um, at 250, I had... Shrine of the Forsaken Gods. I know this is like a really recent card, but they could probably put it on common. It also lets you help you cast your Eldrazi. Uh, it's a card that makes colorless mana, so it's not like totally awful if you draw it as like one of your few lands in draft. Um, I could see instead of that, it something um, more relevant, or maybe it's just like a weird color fixing dual land. Reflecting uh, pool. Yeah, Reflecting Pool could be there, and that would be quite good. Um, if they wanted to put like weird stuff, like they could put Sliver Hive or something like that in there, or Reliquary Tower again, or I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of things in that slot that are like weird one ofs that could fit in there. Um, Shrine of the Forsaken Gods just felt to me like a card that could help you cast the Eldrazi Titans, since in Modern Masters 2015 you could draft them, but even with Ivu getting Eldrazi Temple, it was not really feasible to cast them most of the time. So um, that's why I have that one there. Uh, and then at 252, I'm, I'm feeling Strip Mine. It's been a really long time since they printed it. It's only available in foil, I think, two times. Once as a Masterpiece and once as an FTV. And they already have Ancient Tomb and some other like weird land, like weird old lands in here. So I'm like, not a hundred percent sure that they'll put strip mine in. It's a really good combo with life from the loam. It's got that going for it, right? It's not nearly as abusive as uh as Crucible of Worlds because eventually you'll deck yourself if you keep dredging life from the loam in draft. 
But I feel like if you put a bunch of powerful lands in the set, uh, Strip Mine becomes a pretty reasonable target, and it's something that is not obnoxiously expensive, but will still be. People... I guess slow, but like it's still something that like will be um, people will want to open and draft. Uh, and then that's the... not a cheap card. I'm sorry. That is not a cheap card. Okay, I, I was more expensive than I thought it was, but this they could were definitely three dollars for like ten years. Yeah, and then Commander happened. I know it yeah. sucks. Uh, and then the last one I had at two fifty three was Thespian Stage. Uh, you need to put bulkers in the set at some point in time, and it combos with Dark Deaths. So maybe they'll put like crop rotation in there too, get like the full depths combo going on. I think that'd be pretty sweet. I feel like none of, right. neither of you have any opinions on this. I'm pretty brain dead after all the card numbers. I um, just like I just said card names too. I I want to say that their probably like bigger focus is going to be largely on more like modern face cards. I think like Petrified Temple uh, or or not Jesus Christ Petrified Field and Deserted Temple. Holy crap! Um, are fairly like. Not great choices. One because a lot of people are going to op open up and look and think like, "Why the hell is this a card?" Type thing. Um, uh, so, to be fair, there's a lot of cards already in this set that are people are going to be like, "Why is this a card?" Like what? <laughs> <laughs> like like name Phyrexian uh, Tower. Why is this a card? But sure, but that card's been expensive for like um, for like quite a while. Uh, people might not know of it, but like that was one because it wasn't reserveless. Apparently, was Ru Rune Snag. Why is this a card? Rune Halo. Why is this a card? There's a lot of really weird niche things that they're putting in the set. Rune Halo like, makes sense. Like no reprint plus kind of modern playable card. Like that one makes sense. Um, why is Squee in this set? Squee Goblin to Bob. So you can sack it to Frexine Tower. Oh, okay. Uh, actually, yeah. I think it's so you could discard it as a faithless looting. Yeah. Um, right. Sorry, go ahead. I, I interrupted you. Your thought. Uh, no, like I, uh, I think like you, the emphasis would just be much heavier on modern cards. Like I don't, like I think they're. It's not unreasonable for them to pick some of those. I just think like the emphasis, like someone would be much more excited to open like a dryad arbor versus. Um, a desert temple, for example. Yeah, because if you open a Dread Arbor, it'll help you branch out into more formats of magic, versus if you open a deserted temple, you're going to pray that you open something else, right? Is that you, the gist? Are, you are a bum. But <laughs> I will say, I will say, this is kind of a teaser, but of the cards that I listed... You can't, uh, you can't do that. We don't want you to get in trouble. No, I'm not going to get in trouble. Uh, right. I was going to say that we know Phyrexian Tower is in the set, so that one's definitely right. I know that there is one other one that is correct out of that list, and you'll find out what it is tomorrow. Comment. Uh, my my spoiler article goes up tomorrow on cool stuff. I think it'll be up around eleven, between eleven and noon Eastern time. But I know that one of those cards is on. Uh, it, one of the cards on the list is that is the card that I am spoiling. All right. Where it's, can it's, you... it's probably Desert Temple, and I probably just like Jim probably knows, and he's just like straight up daggering me. <laughs> I hope that that's the case. Like, it's mostly but... since I'm being like so vehement about it, right? Like, like it's clearly the one that I'm like going to get wrong. Yeah, obviously. How does this cast work? You 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 take a strong <laughs> position and you get burned by it every single time. 
I yeah. think I'm three for four on bets I've allegedly made with Ed this year. Why does he keep taking you up on them? <laughs> the, only one that I, the only one I allegedly lost was a cube game. I've won everything else this year. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I like I like backed out on some of them, like like League of Legends <laughs> fight, like League of Legends semifinals. I was like, lost man. that as well, right? But I didn't make the bet. Yeah, right. Like I would like there was one bet. So like the the theoretical <laughs> bet you lost. The theoretical bet I lost. Like I was expecting, like it was a best, of, it was a best of five series. I can't remember what the teams were. I was like, hmm. you picked the Korean team. I, I think I think I picked the Korean team. I was like, man, esports Korean team, what can go wrong? They got swept three zero. Yeah, they got swept three zero. Yeah, we have gone crushed. Glad I yeah. didn't make that bet. I would have lost to both Doug and Jeremy as well. That's the worst part. So <laughs> is that the worst part? I was pretty sure the worst part was the fact that you have to wear a hat for like the next month. Uh, I'm I. It, it's it's not as bad. It was like really bad, like the day after, like when I was at Eternal Weekend. Yeah. Mainly because there were like people just running around trying to steal my hat, like the whole event. Like, <laughs> like that was particularly bad. Do you now, have like a Do you have like a beanie that you wear? Because like it's cold out now, up where you're living, right? So you could just like leave your hat on all the time, and nobody says anything about it. Oh, like I haven't really, like one. It's not as cold here. Like Milwaukee was like pretty miserable. It was actually, it was like snowing on Thursday, snowing on Friday, snowing on Saturday. Um, in Milwaukee, that sounds great. Yeah, it was. It, Milwaukee was a hoot. Um, <laughs> like, but it's. It, it's like it's not that bad here. Like I, I can walk outside a t-shirt and like feel okay. So, also, no one knows him, so he doesn't have to wear a hat there. Gotcha. Why he moved to Portland for the rest of the year? Um, all right. Where can people find you guys? I'm fairly confident this is the longest episode of 2018. Uh, yeah. Well. We also had to wait half an hour for Ed, so you have to take that into consideration. So it is the longest episode, but it's not significantly longer than usual. We're going to do two hours, and then Ed showed up half an hour late. Wait, what about pick of the week? Oh god! Oh (laughs) jeez! Because Ed's ready. Ed, Ed, are you going to pick Deserted Temple? Because it's not in the set. (laughs) Um. I, I think the week is uh, deserted temple because I want Ed to pay for my dinner again. I I'm not partaking in these, any more of these like ridiculous bets. Like I lost like a coin flip against Jeremy for like steak dinner in Minneapolis this year. Why would you bet on a coin flip? At best, that's fifty fifty. <laughs> right. You lost. You allegedly lost like a lot in Japan. Allegedly. Uh, the, right, right. There, there, there are some things that like. I thought gambling happen. was illegal in Japan. No, we weren't gambling. Yeah, oh. we would never do that. Just things you lost allegedly. Oh, okay. Thing, yeah. yeah, things were not favorable for me. What's the uh? What's the name of the machines with the little metal balls? Pachinko. Yeah, playing too much pachinko. That's what happened. Yeah, it was pachinko. Uh, the sure, skill we'll, game, I heard. Yeah, we'll we'll go with that. Ed, what's your favorite? <laughs> why is uh, it deserved? Uh, I actually don't have a pick of the week ready. Uh, wow, you brought a pick of the week and you weren't even ready. You are the worst. Uh, I'm not ready either, but I didn't. I didn't re- remind anyone that it was supposed to be pick of the week. Um, I think I am like pretty okay with where standard is at right now. There's still some cards, like obviously most of the stuff, like the big stuff, had popped. Um. Like Azor's Gateway was one that I did not expect to go up and be like super competitive. 
Um, that one did, I think, um, Rivals Ixlon, like, still, like, a very, very good target, mainly, like, most of the Mythics. I don't, I honestly don't think for any non-bulk Mythic and Rivals Ixlon you can lose on, right? Like, if I'm just gonna run down the list, like, Angrath, Flame Chain, Rakdos will be the next guild. Um, we touched on Zor's Gateway already, Alenda, Dust Rose, uh, already a big casual card, like, some Orzov, Life Gain, Vampires thing, like, non-zero that happens, Alenda could get big, um... Quality Radiant Champion is like I think I think that card is actually just bad, but it is a planeswalker. Um and it's actually not like kind of in the bulk level planeswalker that like Dovin Bond and uh what's the other really bad planeswalker from uh Wait. What's up? Sahili. Uh Sahili was like a little bit better. Like that that one it was effectively banned, so that one makes it worse. But like this one's not quite in that same like bulkish level. Um but, like, if, like, being Slesnia, being in the set, didn't make it, like, big, um, like, this one might not get there. But, it, like, it's possible, like, Slesnia Tokens was kind of a deck. Um, uh, like, Kumena, like I talked about before, like, Blue-Green, it's, like, very close to being playable. If once we have, like, Breeding Pool, maybe we get some support for it, it goes, it kind of goes over. Uh, Rekaling Phoenix, Immortal Sun, those are very expensive. Timestream Navigator is probably like the most bulkish mythic on um, the list. I'm looking at uh, mtg.donglair, just going down the line. Uh, Twilight Prophet, I had expected this one to be a little bit better. There's like no home for it yet. Uh, maybe like Orzov is something that kind of like pushes it over. Cause I, think is- the, I think the body is just too bad for how much mana you're paying. Like, because this is the same amount of mana as uh, Crackling Drake. And you get a bigger body, and you get the card immediately. Right. Whereas this one, you have to untap with, which it just it just feels so hard with with Teferi being as big as it is. Yeah, yeah. And um, Zakama, like that's just like a big, like EDH type card. Um, like that one is probably like I don't have a lot of confidence on that one, mainly because it's already fairly expensive at like nine dollars or something. So it doesn't have a lot to gain. It's unlikely to see competitive play. But I think, like, most of the other cards, like, there's a non-zero chance that uh, Ravnica Allegiance, like, with additional guild support, with additional, like, you know, like, who knows what, like, the, like, black, black, red, red uh, Rakdos card, like, Rakdos Uncommon looks like. Um, Like, these are types of things where if there was support, like, I think, like, most of these are, um, like, very reasonable that they... Because they're mythics, they could easily have kind of like the Vivian read effect where they're going from like five to six dollars up to like eighteen to twenty dollars, for example. Angrath uh, doubled, I believe. What what's up? Angrath. I think it's up like fifty percent over the last month. Right, right. So like I not by doing, by the way, in case anyone was wondering out there. Um but No, you just pick fifteen cards for pick of the week. I had to get one right eventually. Right. I was gonna say I think I picked that singularly like two or three weeks ago, but um, I did I did notice that um, cards that people stream with are more likely to go up, and Jeff Hooglin has been playing a lot of that card recently. Not in good decks, but he's been playing it a lot recently. Jim, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is Thorn Lieutenant. It is like two dollars. Uh, it's a corset card, so there's just not very many of them. Uh, if there is a Gruel beatdown deck, which I'm pretty much assuming there will be in the next set, or, or even if there's like a tempo deck with uh, Simic, 
this two drop doesn't seem like the kind of card that's going to get replaced very easily. Uh, it's resilient to removal. It uses all your mana when you have too much of it. It's a reasonable body by itself. Um, at $2, like, I could definitely see this being like an $8 to $10 card. Think of it like Sylvan Advocate. That was a card a couple of years ago that was quite expensive uh, when it was in standard and it was played by pretty much everybody. Uh, once we get all of the shocks and then all of the um, all of the shocks and all of the check lands together makes three color mana bases pretty easy. And because this guy only costs one green, this is guy the kind of creature that could be splashed in pretty much every deck that you want to play in. Um, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty hyped for it at two dollars. I don't even think I have a good pick this week. Well, why do you think I picked a Thor Lieutenant? Yeah, I. It's like honestly nothing I feel comfortable about right now picking. I'm like looking through stacks of cards I bought recently, and I'm just like, eh, you know, there's stuff, but there's stuff, but I'm not gonna buy it again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I have a pick this week. Um, besides like obvious stuff, like Noble Hierarch at thirty, which like we can get in like a month. Yeah, as I say, like a lot of this week's pick of the week is predicated on what happens the next two days in terms of spoilers. Because like, if there's a card that's not spoiled right away that you need for your deck, you should probably go buy it. But if there is time for it to be spoiled, if it's not crunched out, then like you should still wait. So if you're waiting for Blackleaf Cliffs, that ship has already sailed. It sailed a month ago because it's not possible based on the cards that are in the set. But if you're waiting for like is Deserted Temple going to be in the set? I don't know, man. Then you maybe you should still keep waiting and then watch Ed uh, with egg on his face next week. Oh, uh, David Bruno asks in the live stream, not even a 1% pick referring to my pick of the week. I'll go with um, Boxes of Alpha because I had multiple people ask me if I had one this week because I was advertising a buy price at my event and they thought I picked one up. And I literally had three people this week say, hey, you have a box of Alpha for sale. That's like, my pick of the week. Do those even exist anymore, like in reality? Yeah, yeah I, I actually hooked uh, one of the people up with someone that has one. I don't know if the sale went through, but that's my pick because if that sale goes through, that's one less box alpha on the market, folks. So uh, that's about as one. That's so awful. Yeah, the numbers being discussed were interesting. So, man, that's like your most ridiculous pick. <laughs> like this year, like there was one point when you picked like. Beta the original Lotus. art. No, you picked like the original art. That one wasn't bad. There's like there's 3,300 of those. Like yeah. you had you had picked original art for Tron Lands like back in August or something. Oh I no, that was because he was trolling you because he purchased them. Right, I understand. No, it. because I predict Tron Lands to be in the set this year or next year. They can't be in this one, by the way. If you're if but, you're yeah. if you're wondering at home, uh, Urza's power plant, Urza's mine, Urza's tower do not fit. Be in this set. The art came out earlier this year, and about after two years is when we normally get the card on paper. And I was like, "These things are big," and I got them for a steal, and I'm gonna resell them. So I wrote, I resold them already. You're a ridiculous human. Wait, you bought the Tronlands and then sold them? Yep. In three months. You're a bum. Why would you okay. do that? Why not? I don't know. I value things that I own. I have personal attachment to stuff. There's better art out there, but I did get it for a deal, and then I did resell them. Oh, oh yeah, the yep. no, 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 no. 
personal attachment to things you own. Bad, 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 bad. But yeah, no. we'll go with we'll go with, we'll go with uh, sealed boxes of Alpha for Reddit, since you guys love that I only pick ten cent cards or million dollar cards. You are or yeah, I say you are the you are the least helpful person. You are the least helpful person on any cast when it comes to pick of the week. <laughs> I, I think job. I think like in like the entire time I've done this, I've seen like four alpha starters from like unique people that weren't like it wasn't just the same alpha stars seeing over and over again. I think I've seen like a small handful of alpha boosters, like less than a dozen. Yeah. But uh the number being thrown around for the sealed alpha box was definitely interesting. So keep an eye out if you own one. You know, if you get any of those <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you if you open <laughs> up your closet and your dad bought an alpha booster box and left it in there from 1995 or whatever. Three. Yeah. Three, sorry. Uh, you know, just keep an eye on that. You know, maybe you should go through your closets over the weekend. Go to, go visit your parents and just, like, rip all the shit out of their closet and see what's in there. Maybe you'll find an alpha booster box. Or maybe just the beta one. That's fine, too, right? So for reference, so people who were playing back in the day at Gen Con when they first introduced this, people were taking alpha starters, opening them up, playing like one game of Magic, and throwing them away. So with alpha starters, there are, people are like throwing away like what is now probably like $25,000 in a trash can. So yeah, not uh, for, yeah, good, good luck finding sealed alpha stuff out there. Right. I think Jeremy's... Uh connection just got destroyed so uh, jeremy says reconnecting can't hear can't hear you give me a second i'm not sure what that's supposed to mean um but uh oh it's supposed to be h-e-a-r not h-e-r-e did i miss anything nope uh ed ed read what you wrote and then didn't understand what you meant sounds about right because he read it you wrote the oh. wrong version of here and his brain couldn't process the, the homonym. <laughs> well, as always, right. guys, it was a pleasure to do a longer cast with you guys. Um, we apologize that we couldn't get a full two hours in, but uh, Ed was sleeping or something. I was not sleeping. But according to everyone in the live stream, they liked the amount of banner we had. So I guess uh, that makes us better than Brainstorm Brewery. I don't know. Where can people find you guys? Uh, definitely not on Brainstorm Brewery. But you've been a guest on there like three times. Yeah, but like not tonight. So tonight you can't find me there. Yeah. Uh, all right. My name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. You can find my uh, Ultimate Masters preview article on cool.com. Oh boy! Oh man, I like. Excuse me. I can't confirm or deny that, but it would be sweet if it was Deserted Temple, wouldn't it, Ed? It would. Ah, God. Uh, you can find my articles on CoolStuffInc.com. If you are excited about this set and you want to read my full set review, I will have it up on Monday, the, the Monday after Thanksgiving. What is that? The 26th. So you can find all my articles on CoolStuffInc.com, and you can find me on Twitter at PHRST underscore. I might have already said that. Uh, and you can find me on this lovely podcast uh, in, in the miserable state of Florida. Uh, being miserable as usual. Um, I'm at Edwin13 on Twitter. Uh, I'm in Portland this week, hanging out with some friends and family. I leave for Japan next Monday. I'll be at GP Shizuoka all four days. Um, 
I will be in Liverpool the weekend after that, and then I'll be back in Portland until the end of the month uh, for Grand Prix Vancouver, and then we start 2019. And I'm, I still do not believe that Desert Temple is in this set. Not enough to make a bet on it, and not certainly not enough to shave my head again, but I do not believe Desert Temple is in this well, it's set. It's easier now. It's easier to shave your head now. Uh, man, it, it's been kind of a rough two weeks, so... Um, I'm Jeremy. I will be at whatever Grand Prix Ed is attending for like five hours on site, probably. Um, I'll be in Hawaii the week before Vancouver, so I don't know if I'll be recording the cast from there. We'll have to figure that out. Or get Doug or Jason all on, probably. Um, you can find me on Twitter at MissouriMTG. We appreciate everyone that actually stuck to the end of this. Um, if you want to give us feedback, tweet to us at cartel underscore finance. You can reach out to us on iTunes, on Twitter, on Facebook, because Jim publishes articles there, uh, YouTube, and SoundCloud, because um, we're, we're basically everywhere now. Uh, thanks to everyone who gives us feedback on Reddit and all the other places. We do appreciate it. And occasionally, we do make you guys some money. Uh, let's end it with our new cutoff line that Jim loves so much. So thanks for listening this week, guys. And of course, bye-bye. Have a great week.